It is the 200 level, Mike Carpenter in the basement studio. You're going to be hearing this for the first time on Monday, August 7th, but we recorded this over the weekend with old friend, and as I tweeted out, Alani Sports Media Renaissance man, Jeremy Warner from Alani Inquirer, formerly of Tay and J and the Jeremy Warner Show. And it was great to have him pop down into the studio Saturday after he had some media availability with the coaching staff and training camp is underway. It has begun. We are a month away from football season, and it's starting to feel real. I'll I'll be completely honest here. Last week, in the midst of my Illini football excitement, which even my wife, Kara, made a comment this morning at breakfast. She said, you're really, really excited about this. And I said, yeah, in a way that I have not been going into a season in a long time. I went and I got a brand new Nike jersey. I'm a Nike guy. I love the redesigned jerseys. I got the orange one, which I don't know if they're actually going to wear those on the field or not, but it looks great as apparel. So I got that for the season. That is my game day attire. Not a plug for game day, but I will say they do look sharp. The vertical stripes are really growing on me. So that's just one example, albeit an expensive one, of how excited I am for this season. And when I was talking with Jeremy, I think that my excitement level remained pretty consistent without veering into unreasonable expectations. And we talk a lot about expectations for this team and what would be a successful season, what would be a subpar season. And I think we're basically on the same page. I'll let you listen to the interview for that, but I'll give you a quick little synopsis of my mindset, so to speak, as we enter this season. I don't expect a Big Ten title. I would not be shocked if they did represent the West, but I do not expect it. And I don't need it. I don't. You would think in a way that last year, the way things ended, similar to the way the three years ago in basketball, or two years ago, which was it? Either way, when you won the Big Ten tournament title but feel like you got shafted in the regular season, that added an extra bit of emphasis on the follow-up when Kofi came back and you felt like you needed to win a regular season title. Otherwise, what was the point? I got way too existential that year as we were chasing that elusive Big Ten regular season title. And it was great when it happened, but relief was probably just as strong of an emotion as joy. And that's not how it should be. Joy should be the overriding thing when you accomplish something like that. So I I hope I learned a lesson there. But similarly, Illini football is not Illini basketball. So I don't need to do all the legwork here. As an Illini football fan, naturally my expectations are different. Same as yours probably are too. So do I need a Big Ten West title? No, I don't. Do I expect it? No, I don't. Would I be shocked if they did it? No, I wouldn't. But I'll take seven or eight wins. I'll take the Music City Bowl. See you in Nashville on New Year's Eve. I think that'd be a blast. All I really care about, to be honest, is that the momentum that you had last year carries over somehow. And we'll know it. We will feel it. Whatever that record ends up being and whatever the big wins or the disappointing losses are at the end of the season, we will know if we did, in fact, capitalize on what we had last year. I don't think there's going to be much of a gray area with that. And all that is to say, as we sit here four weeks away from the first game, it's a nice position to be excited for the season, but not have overwhelming expectations for what they need to do to make you feel good as an Illini football fan. Now, before we get into this interview that I did with Jeremy, it goes about 70 minutes almost, so this will be a longer podcast, but I'll keep the opening segment fairly short. 
We did open up really quick with the Big Ten expansion talk. And of course, the big news last week, this was after I put that first podcast up with uh, the Barry Lunny interview. Oregon and Washington are heading to the Big Ten in 2024. Now, this is just one of those inevitable things that we're going to see. There's going to be more teams added, I am sure. Stanford, Notre Dame, perhaps. I know Clemson is a name that's been bandied about. That would be huge for football. And football is what's driving this, no doubt, because no offense to Washington basketball, but in the post-Brandon Roy era, that's not what is bringing them to the Big Ten. It's their football program, which is solid in the Seattle market. Oregon, self-explanatory. The Nike school that they are, football juggernaut, maybe not as much as they were 15 years ago, but still a really good program. So there are reasons to be excited, but I also understand why, and you might be like me in this, the news came out and it wasn't quite as exciting as UCLA-USC. At a certain point, you feel as if there is a watering down. At a certain point, you look at the schedule and you get excited for Michigan coming to Memorial Stadium or playing Ohio State and think, well, I don't want to lose that to play Washington. Maybe you do if you just want the easier win or the better possibility. But no, I still want to play the classic Big Ten teams. I don't know how the Big Ten is going to juggle that. I don't know how you're going to set these schedules up where the winners of divisions or the winners of the Big Ten regular season title truly feel like they are representing the 18-20-24 team league. That's for the big money guys up in Chicago to figure out, and I hope they do in a way that all the schools feel good about. It's not going to feel smooth. There's going to be moments where a... A game at Washington happens, and you don't get any more invested in that than you would if it were a non-conference game, like back in 2014 with Tim Beckman when we went out there and got smoked. 17 plays away, don't forget. However, accepting the reality of it and knowing that we are not done and that you might end up with a 2014 league with, we had a really cool idea that was bandied between Jeremy and I. What if you had four six-team divisions and then you had a, a four-team Big Ten tournament over the course of two weekends. I mean, we are quickly moving towards this essentially being professional football if it isn't already in everything but name. And I don't think a couple more games is going to stop Big Ten commissioners or athletic directors from accepting this growth. As a fan, I guess just, you know, strap in and and, and see what happens and, and hope that the Big Ten continues to reign supreme because if there's one thing you can take solace in, no matter all the changes, you are a charter member of the Big Ten. You are always going to be safe because of that Chicago market. We saw last year some of the better watched games in the Big Ten included Illinois. And I'm not surprised by that. And I think that basketball, that speaks for itself too. We are a school that does have a lot of cachet. And this leads me to one final point I want to tease before the interview as I'm talking to Jeremy, it occurs to me, wait a second, Jeremy is an Illini alum, me too, we're the same year, 09 journalism. Somehow I don't recall any classes with him. I get the feeling he was a little bit more studious than I was. I can almost guarantee it. But if you're an Illinois fan or alum or just invested in the university in any way, shape, or form, the university is in stronger shape than it has been as far as leadership is concerned than at any point in my life. There is a stability these are leaders that I feel like I can trust in, whether it be Robert Jones or Josh Whitman or President Colleen. And that is a great position to be in, in the midst of all this change and upheaval in the Big Ten. 
So lots to talk about with Jeremy Warner. Appreciated him popping down. Before we get to that interview, I want to remind you to support our sponsors, including DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, DP Doe. Com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so whether it's a business lunch or a late-night calzone or soon enough, a celebratory calzone after Illinois gets their first of many football wins. That's dpdo.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Brian will be sure to hop on the podcast with us throughout the season, football and basketball. Looking forward to that. Also, we'll vouch for him as an insurance agent. He has been our guy for coming up on three years now. So go online to brianismyguy.com to get more information from State Farm agent Brian Hansen. It's the great State Farm prices and a guy that you can trust. That's Brian Hansen, State Farm agent at brianismyguy.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. You can give them a call today at 217-841-4728. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, whether it's an AC check or a furnace check, which before you know it, it's going to be time to do that with fall coming up. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing are your home's best friend for your furnace, AC, or any HVAC need that you may have. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. And we have a new addition to the roster of sponsors. That's Owen Builders. Appreciate Luke Owen and the folks at Owen Builders. Their mission is simple. Provide an honest, reliable, and affordable solution for residents of Champaign-Urbana and the surrounding area. So whether it's a new deck, cover patio, garage, addition, their small local team will go above and beyond to make sure that your project is completed while exceeding expectations. So go online to owenbuildersllc.com for more information or give them a call today at 217-369-5983. Also, I forgot to say this last podcast and apologies to them, but the folks at Champagne Showers Podcast Network appreciate their partnership with the 200 level. All right, I don't want to keep you waiting. I know what you came here for. Jeremy Warner, Alana Inquirer publisher, podcaster, great beat reporter, great long-form articles, and one that came out just yesterday, Aaron Henry. Twin daughters within the last week. A big life change for Aaron Henry, someone that I'm a big fan of as a coach, and I really love his personality too, so that was a really good profile that Jeremy came up with. But him and Joey and Derek and the staff over there, as always, do an excellent job. And I'm not just saying that because I know the guys, but... As an Illini fan, it's great to have that kind of coverage. And go to IlaniInquirer.com if you haven't already. I know a lot of you have. Sign up for one of their memberships. You will not regret it. So, without further ado, 70 minutes, me and my old friend. God, we've known each other for 13, 14 years now. My interview with Jeremy Warner. Have you ever been to Eugene, Oregon? I have not been to Eugene, Oregon. I've been to Portland, Oregon. I've been to Seattle, so I have been to, to UW's campus. We used to talk about the Pacific Northwest a lot. Yeah, right? like, is a that your fan. favorite region? I'm a big fan of Pacific Northwest. For somebody of my ginger skin uh, and complexion, uh, the weather goes well for me, uh, and it's just beautiful, beautiful landscape. I did not think there would be Big Ten landscape, though. I didn't. It makes it makes sense. I think that Oregon and Washington, a lot, out of a lot of those Pac-12 teams, more so than even in Arizona. I, I get it. And, uh, you know, we were talking just before we hit record I am excited, but it's not the same pop as a UCLA and a USC. So uh, while we saw that this was coming and we're really moving towards super conferences, if we aren't already there, were you at all surprised by the, I, maybe not that it happened, but the quickness with which it happened? No, I mean, I, I could sit here and say like when the, the Rutgers, Maryland thing happened, because Nebraska always made sense, yeah. right? Nebraska geographically um, just kind of culturally made sense for the Big Ten. The last four editions before these two uh, really didn't, right? I mean, this was all the new era of 
capitalism in college football um, run amok uh, if you want if if you think of that. But it's all about media rights. It's all about the TV um, kind of packages and streaming packages. All this kind of running the show. Uh, because the NCAA, we know, doesn't run the show. There's no centralized you know, power structure that's kind of reining this all in. So you have these conferences just competing with each other and stealing from each other. Uh, and w- once, obviously, Rutgers-Maryland happens, you're always looking to expand more and more. And it made sense that the West Coast would eventually be that. And when, when Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC, the Big Ten makes its counter move with USC and, and UCLA. And it's um, – Carp, it's, it's weird to talk about, like, because once USC and UCLA happen, it made sense that Oregon and Washington would come next. They right. seem like the next two dominoes. Because they're the, the good brands, um, they're, they're big markets, uh, and it, if you're going to have two West schools, you might as well have two more, and I wonder if there will be at least one more. Uh, Stanford, if they want to come in here. But all of this like jockeying of like who's going to be in here, who's not, mm. at the end of the day, it's like fans, it's good if you're Illinois, because you're in one of the power conferences, you're in one of the what is probably going to be two super conferences here. But what does this look like? That, that we're in the middle of all of this change, and this isn't it. I, I don't think the Big Ten's stopping at 18. No, no. Whether it's 20 or 24, or is it 32? You know what I mean? Like we're going to have two super conferences, and what does that all look like? And then in the meantime, how how does this all work? Like what is Illinois playing for now? You know, 11 teams. A conference title meant something. Conference title is going to mean a ton moving forward. It probably means a, a college football semifinal or whatever. I don't know. Like, what does this all mean moving forward? Because we could talk about the jockeying and this horse race of who's getting who and who ends up where. And it's all entertaining. It's good for our business. But at the end of the day, how does this all change the college football product? It's certainly gone away from tradition, which is what the college football product was all about. But it's it's more about like who wins all of this. Obviously, USC and UCLA win because they're making way more money. The Big Ten um, media partners win because they're making more money. But is the product better? Maybe. I don't know. Like, is the product better for fans? Um, I think because there's a watering down, and, and uh, naturally you get used to it. So uh, Rutgers and Maryland, even though Illinois can't beat Maryland to save their lives, apparently in, in basketball, but it, you've seen, uh, okay, now you're starting to get used to them on the basketball schedule more than football. I think with football, though, when you get to 18 teams, and if you, you mentioned Stanford, it would only make sense if you had Stanford, why not at Notre Dame? It seems like those would be the two yes. bad fellows that make sense. And but, then divisionally, it makes sense because you could have a five-team West division, right. another two in the Midwest, and then another East, right? And that would be fun. Yes. Now, let's say there were, was a 20-team sort of thing, and then you played, you had four divisions, and kind of like a mini playoff where you would You'd have... You basically have the Eastern and Western Conference or the AFC and NFC. I mean, great. That's what, that's what is, I guess, the overall point is this has become the professionalization of college football, which with it is going to become paying the players at some point, right? And salary cap. So that's where we're in this like messy middle, I guess, is my whole point. I have so many thoughts and like just, I don't really have thoughts. I have questions about like, because we're in this middle of, we're having this huge transformation of what college athletics is going to be. And at the end of the day, in 10, 20 years, is it a better product? It could be because you think of, there could be a four team Big Ten playoff to get to the college football playoff. That's exciting. Like, if you had, you know, the four-team Big Ten division winners, they all play to get into their side of the bracket, and then the SEC has four teams all play, get divisions, all play for their side of the bracket. 
Uh, but in in the wake of that, we probably lose the ACC. We probably lose the Big 12. We probably lose the Pac-12. But is it a better product? It certainly is for probably the 48 schools that survive, but for the 20 Power 5 schools that might not, like Washington State, Oregon State, this is a struggle. Well, it's like we can see it coming. We know what's going to happen. We know expansion is going to continue. But we used to do this kind of running trope on, on the radio show of what does it all mean, you know? Yeah. And, and I think <laughs> What does it all mean, Basil? Yeah, yeah that's, that's sort of where I'm at with it. Now, I as an Illinois fan... There are two things that, that bring me a lot of comfort in this. One, just being in the Big Ten. So it's like, yes. you know that you are safe. And um, I, I, I think that, especially as one of the charter members, not that anyone would ever uh, consider this, but you, you aren't going anywhere. Like, like, you are firmly established, so there is a safety net. Plus, you're in the right state. Yeah. Like, you're not... Like if, I, if I'm Rutgers, I'm a little concerned. But if I'm, like, Purdue, I'm a little bit more concerned, right? Because they're this kind of the second school in their state. Um, I don't know if contraction would ever happen. I don't think they'd ever, I don't think the big 10 would ever vote out an original member like that. But um, I don't know if you, you feel safe if you're one of those non huge schools, but I do think Illinois is in a really good position because they are definitely, even now, I think they're one of the top 10 more valuable programs based on their history, based on the state. They're in. I would agree with that. Yeah. And I think the revenue would back that up. And also, yes. even last year, some of the most watched football games in the Big Ten did include Illinois. So, you know, that the yeah. sleeping giant thing's been bandied about. But I do think with the resurgence of football, um, that's big. But the other thing that gives me a lot of encouragement is I think that the leadership, I think that Josh Whitman yeah. is sort of tailor made. For this moment, and what I do appreciate with him is uh, a seeming seemingly very flexible, and kind of sees this coming, and he's <laughs> adapted to it. And I think that youth plays a part of that. I think just sort of uh, the lawyery uh, kind of background of his is actually beneficial here. I've gotten to know Josh at least well enough professionally that I doubt he likes the watering down of the rivalries of the tradition of the Big Ten. But he's saying the right things. But I think he knows they have to do this mm. um, or that they need to do this to survive and to thrive uh, and be one of those two power conferences. So um, I think he's probably had, you know, there's been some reports of, you know, some Big Ten chancellors and presidents. And we, we got to remember, Robert Jones is the the head of the chancellor and presidents. He has a huge hand in all of what is happening right now. Um, so, But I, I would imagine Whitman's one of those that has some trepidations about this, but also knows you have to be aggressive. That, that's how he's been uh, with, with his entire kind of tenure here is we need to be more aggressive in charting our own path. The Big Ten is certainly charting its own path, and it's set itself self up for um, just being a really successful conference moving forward. It's, it's amazing. There, I used the word last night when I was talking to some of my friends. Um, they're the first transcontinental conference. If you think about it, like hmm. power conference. Yeah, coast to coast. Like they are coast to coast, east coast to west coast. The only thing they don't touch is the south. Someone was uh, tweeting this morning. I know Champagne Showers responded to it, but like if you go from Eugene to Piscataway, it's the same distance as New York to London. Yeah. And why not at this point just add Oxford, add McGill and Toronto? I mean, just, you know, make it truly the first trans, okay, if transcontinental, what would that be? Intercontinental? Yeah. I know it's not going to happen and wouldn't make any sense, but you, you, this is so crazy. I don't want to get too academic, but you mentioned Robert Jones, and then I think of uh, President Colleen, and as an alum, and you're an alum too, uh, you know, I grew up at a period where the 80s were often talked about as this golden age for mm -hmm. Illinois. But I also remember people talking about um, just there was not really much upheaval with the university leadership. And you just got me thinking about how the university as a whole is in its most stable place that it's been in my life. And think about this for the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. 
Robert Jones, I think, is one of the top three tenured presidents. He hasn't been there that long. Josh Whitman is basically tied with Ward Manuel at Michigan for the third most tenured AD. That's Once Barda's done, which Barda's going to be done very shortly here. Yeah. Um, so, yes, you have stability. And what's one thing Illinois has not had for most of our adults? Historically, lives, yeah. Has been stability. So I do think, and there's an alignment. I mean, Robert Jones is aligned with Josh Whitman. Josh Whitman is aligned with his two head coaches and uh, main head coaches and Brad Underwood and um, Brett Bielma. So I, I think that's, that's huge right now for Illinois uh, to have that kind of stability. And, and to be honest with you, strong leadership. Um, Josh Whitman has not been perfect. He would admit that. But he has been a strong leader um, for Illinois when they needed it worst. I think even when things were not going well with football, that I didn't necessarily pin it on Josh. I think the first attempt with Levy made a lot of sense, and I don't fault him for it because I was as, as excited as anybody with it. Uh, and at the end, it got him point A to point B yeah. from, from laughing stock, embarrassment to we're just not winning enough, but at least we're not embarrassing ourselves off the field like that, that was that was the main thing and then you're able to get the smith center so lovey smith you could say was a little step in the right direction yeah i would agree with that to an extent and then you're right there was a foundational kind of thing that happened there and even if i mean god it was frustrating in those five years yeah uh, but what i am encouraged by and you mentioned this too like how much more important or how much bigger of a deal it will be to win a big 10 title when you have an 18 20 24 team conference and that leads for basketball too. <laughs> well, yeah, right. So that leads me to this year, which um, with this football team, and it's not like they're going to have these meetings and say, "Guys, understand the conference is going to be twenty-four teams." So that means we really got to get to Indy this year. But on, on the first podcast back for me, I was I charted three reasons why I don't think this is going to be like a two thousand eight or a two thousand two. Yeah. And one of them is this intangible piece that I think there's enough veterans there, and this coaching staff recognizes that. There is a real opportunity in a completely wide open division in this last year of a 14 team Big Ten. So that is one intangible reason why I think, uh, well, I'm thinking pretty optimistic about this season. Yeah, I, I actually just wrote a column about this. I, I think you and I, in our you know um, time watching Illinois, know that every time you're hopeful about Illinois football, the rug kind of gets pulled out from under you. Uh, and and I saw when you know was it Jerry Donardo. Mike Hall and uh, Howard Griffith all picked Illinois to win the West, and it's not a crazy prediction to make. No, and it's not. I wouldn't necessarily make it, but in, in this West, it's not. I did not predict Illinois to win. I just have some question marks about them. And no matter what you think of Iowa and their offense, that team should have won the West last year too. I mean, Illinois and Iowa, one of those teams should have won the West. Neither of them did. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just Iowa has really good strengths on defense, special teams. I think their offense will be better. Um, but. Yeah, you can pick Illinois, but there was a response to that from Illinois fans of like, oh, this makes me uncomfortable. Like, I don't like when Illinois has expectations. And I understand because 2002, you go 5-7. and seven. 2008, you go 5-7 and seven, when those teams had no business, especially 2008. With all the talent, Mike Loxley was there that year, correct? Like, he, he was had there. One more year. And how did that happen? Um, coaching's a part of it. Some attrition's part of it. I think they got, you know, some injuries happen on that team, but... That can happen on this team, too. I think Brett Bielma has said, we're capable of winning every game on our schedule, which I've never been able to say before. That helps when you don't have Ohio State and Michigan. Mm -hmm. We almost beat Michigan, of course, last year. But you don't have those two teams on your schedule. But he also said, we can lose every game. And that's true because you have two huge question marks, quarterback and secondary, right? So those two things kept me from putting Illinois, number one. If Tommy DeVito would have been back, I would have felt a little bit more – 
confident just because I know what he is. We still got to figure out what Luke Altmaier is. But I think your confidence just has to come from this coaching staff. You lose Ryan Walters, and he's a hell of a play caller. I don't I don't know if Aaron Henry can be as good in year one, right? Like I, I think Ryan Walters is a special play caller and a special coach, and that's why he got the Big Ten head coaching job. Um, but I think Aaron Henry is going to be pretty good. He was pretty good in the Mississippi State game, and he's just set up to succeed. He's got a strong staff around him. Andy Boo, uh, Terrence Jamison, you know, Jim Leonard's going to be in the in the building. That just sort of snuck in. Yeah, there. yeah. You do, I mean, just to have that kind of, and then you have Brent Bielema. He's a really good defensive coach. I don't think he's going to let Aaron Henry fail. And Aaron Henry is a really good leader. The key, I, I think, is, is Barry Loney in year two. We saw progress in, in year one, a significant progress in my opinion. But you also saw struggles to consistently score in the red zone. I, I, that is the biggest change for that team. And just getting downfield, some bigger plays. And I think they're adding the talent that can do that, including Luke Altmaier, Malik Elsey. I think Pat Bryant's going to be pretty good this year. Um, but there are enough question marks. But there's enough known. I mean, what you're good at, Cart, is what makes Iowa and Wisconsin good every year. Wisconsin had a bad year last year. They went six and six. <laughs> if that's the four, then you're correct. In good, like good that position, needs yeah. to be the new four. And how you do that is in the trenches. And Illinois should have a very good offensive line. I think Isaiah Adams is a, a guy. Illinois fans like that's one of your best NFL prospects on the team. Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph, we know are great. Um, Seth Coleman, Gabe Ackes, you know are great. But Isaiah Adams is one of the top NFL prospects. Julian Pearl is one of the top NFL prospects. And they think Zy Chrysler is going to be really good this year. So you got to see what Josh Kruitz, Josh Geske, what those guys can be. But uh, th- there's a strong enough history here that the staff feels trustworthy, that they're going to get they're going to get this team in competitive games. And that's the biggest change of the Brett Bielema era has been you're in almost every game. You have a chance in the fourth quarter. And that just comes down to do you make the mistakes or does the other team make the mistakes? Um, and uh, last year, they were able to to win some, some blowout games early and then they made mistakes in those close games that uh, ended up hurting them. So I think they'll be in a lot of close games and I think the floor of this team is – the absolute four would probably be five wins for me, but I think they're a bowl team. And the difference between six and nine wins in this division is pretty small. The uh, The reason that I have a little bit of a weight off my shoulder compared to, let's say, two years ago with basketball, when, when Io left, but Kofi came back and there was this, you got to win the Big Ten. You got to yeah. win the Big Ten. And it zapped a little bit of the fun out of it that year. And hey, I, I could have changed my mindset, but I think a lot of fans were just so aching for a regular season title after feeling like he kind of got cheated out of it so it was like a relief when they did it in hindsight do you remember that more do you remember the second round ncaa tournament loss no you know what i i actually moment was that that moment's an all-timer and that that made the houston loss eh, whatever you know but but at a certain we'll we'll touch basketball later (laughs) this fall it's but there there's a lot of intrigue with that for sure but with this season part of the reason that i feel a little bit less encumbered I feel unencumbered, if you will, is that I'll take seven, eight wins and be happy. If you tell me right now we're going to Music City Bowl on New Year's Eve. Yes, please. I'm happy as a clamp, right? Uh, now. It's it's the difference between basketball and football expectations, right? Absolutely. There. But also, I do agree with you that that would be, like, people have asked me, what's a success? And I said, if they hit their over, which they're at six and a half. Six right and a half, now, yeah. If I would go the over. Me too. But if, if they go the over, that's a success given the history of this program. 100%. Now, I think their expectation is we're going to play in Indy, right? And and we should we should be in the mix for nine or 10 wins, whatever it is. They probably say win them all. Johnny Newton will say that. Um, and the thing is, you could. 
I don't you expect them. To. I don't. I, I don't. But you could have won ten and two. You were closer to ten and two than six and six last year. One could correct. argue. Correct. Absolutely, they were, and that's that's why last year, as great as it was, it was a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. This year, as you were saying, it's a huge opportunity because of the question marks for Iowa's offense. Uh, I think they're going to be really good. But Wisconsin, a new coaching staff, it's exciting. It's a lot of newness, and they're going through a lot of change. And sometimes that doesn't. I mean, look at Nebraska when they change things all the time and they add a bunch of transfers. A lot of times that doesn't work well, but they do have a good coach and and they're going to be interesting. But I think Purdue's going to have a big change year. Um, Nebraska's, I think it's more of a rebuild than people think. I think they're going to be competitive, upgraded hugely at coach. Um, Northwestern's a mess, right? Minnesota's good, they're solid. Um, I could see them competing for a Big Ten West championship, but I think they're very beatable. Um, so yeah, all of that, this is a great chance to get to Indianapolis another year and you have enough returning that you feel like you have the opportunity to do it. So again, it's going to come down to these close games and, and how well probably your quarterback plays. We've already touched on the three things that make me think this is not going to be a repeat of 2008 coaching intangible factor basically the chip on the shoulder that that, knowing that that locker room is thinking indie and that's the goal not not merely making a bowl and then the third one you kind of hit on there was the schedule and i've been kind of pouring through it like Juan and i used to do dare to dream but i'm not going to go so far as to say that but i did borrow a page from lovey smith i broke it down into three Mm -hmm. game increments i broke it down into quarters now there is one quarter of the season that is particularly tough and that's the third quarter which is i believe that's the minnesota wisconsin a Maryland, Minnesota, Wisconsin stretch, mm-hmm. where you could go zero and three. You could go if you went three and zero, that'd be absolutely fantastic. And then I think the first three games are going to be especially telling. But there are some very, very winnable games, and I would throw Florida Atlantic, Indiana, Northwestern, Nebraska because you get them at home. Mm-hmm. Four right there off the bat. Not not putting anything in ink, but you got to feel comfortable with those, and then. I just look at those first two games and think if you start 2-0, yeah. you're probably on your way to another very good season. Yeah. Uh, the non-conference is so compelling. Mm. Um, I think they wish Ford Atlantic were probably the leadoff game uh, because, I mean, Tom Herman's there, which makes them interesting, but they're just not going to be as talented as you. Uh, but Toledo's a really hard opponent for a week one opponent. Not quite, I hope, Western Michigan in 2016 when they went to a Cotton Bowl. But, but- I, I could see Toledo being as good as Purdue. This year. Oh, 100%. Right? Like yeah. that, so it's a really difficult first game. I think it's going to be within 10 points, uh, the spread there, and I, probably within seven. Uh, Kansas is just such a fun contrast of styles um, because they're a wide open spread. You know, Their quarterback's really good. They're going to throw it a lot against the secondary that's unproven. So that's a really early test for Aaron Henry uh, and his defense. But I do think Illinois is going to be able to run the ball down their throats, and I think Barry Lunny is going to have a good game there. So I can see it being... I mean, we haven't seen shootouts with Brett Bielma, but that could be a really interesting uh, first huge test or second huge test. Then you get Penn State right after that. So um, we're going to learn a lot about this team right away. But the thing is, like, even if you go one and one in your first two games, well, it doesn't mean anything for the Big Ten West. You could still go six and three in mm-hmm. the Big Ten West and win it and go to Indy. I mean, Purdue last year lost to Syracuse right. in a game where they looked terrible. Right. It's funny because I watch these early season games and try to, which is such a fool's errand, but you prognosticate, man, Purdue looks terrible in Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, eight weeks later, they're beating you pretty soundly at home. Yeah. I do think that um, this. The other point I want to make, yeah. um, sorry to interrupt, but uh, NFL talent, would I would add that to your list. Mm-hmm. You have 
real NFL talent, especially on the the trenches. Uh, we mentioned that a little bit, but Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph, you know, Randolph has a chance to be a very high draft pick. Isaiah Adams and Julian Pearl have a chance to be high draft picks. Like that's you have to have those guys, uh, and Illinois has some of those guys. And then maybe in the future, we'll see what the skill players produce. I think Pat Bryant could play in the NFL. I think Isaiah Williams is going to get his opportunity. The running backs, Brett Bielema has a good history of that. You know, Taz Nicholson has a little bit of buzz mm-hmm. as an NFL prospect. So um, I do think you got NFL talent, and that's slowly getting better and better. Special teams, not the sexiest unit to talk about, but I, I take odd comfort in that this year because I really think they finished the year strong, kicking-wise at least. Yeah. So I'm not overly concerned with that, and and I just feel like it's funny how you can go back to Brett Bielema's first year and then you go to his second year, and you're much closer to seven and five his first year than you were four and eight. Mm-hmm. You're much closer to ten and two last year than you were to six and six. All that to say that unlike the Beckman, we were 17 plays away from winning at Washington. You really are a few plays away from Brett Bielema having a pretty astounding record through two years. And special teams probably had a hand in two of those losses last year. Yeah. Though, in fairness to them, I don't think you beat Iowa without the punting right. and the kicking that you had. Right. So uh, maybe you, it bounces out. Yeah, and, and Caleb Griffin was really good. He was. Uh, down the stretch. He's a really good kickoff guy. Uh, he started off the year struggling. But then you know, Hugh Robertson really cost you in two games. Uh, and, and that hurt, that I talked to him about. Does it. the Michigan? Because if I recall, the Michigan game, what set up their final drive was a bad punt. Is well, the that first, correct? The first drive, Indiana. Was a, Indiana for, was one game that cost yes. you. Well, Michigan State is the one I think of. Yeah. Uh, I think he had two really bad punts. It was a windy day. It was one of those fifty mile an hour Wednesdays. I, I think we had three of those last year. Um, but he punted in the back end of one of his blockers that's right. that's and right. that set up a touchdown for Michigan State uh but Michigan game one of the things that kind of gets overlooked the first field goal came after a 40 yard I think punt return or kick return one of the two um yeah I think you I think Illinois had a touchdown and then they got a kick return for 40 yards and that set up the first of three field goals for Jake Moody in that game um but yeah I mean the Indiana game he wasn't the only thing that cost Illinois of course people can go to the referees with Brian Hightower but four, turn- four turnovers certainly <laughs> played a role in that you, you everything went you, you dominated them yeah, you, you did it was very frustrating uh Michigan State though you had an opportunity to come back in that game but special teams really it wasn't even just Hugh Robertson I went back and kind of watched highlights of that game. I don't remember why, but I did. And I think Peyton Vining had two bad, like botched kick returns where Illinois got the ball within like their own 10 yard line. Mm-hmm. And and that's the stuff that really costs you in these close games. Uh, and then you think of, I go back to like Maryland in 2021 in Brett Bielema's first year. When you played it in that game and the Purdue game a couple weeks later, or the week after you played it uber conservative. And I, I kind of understand why, but yeah. uh, it cost you late in those games because partly bad special teams. Yeah. So uh, special teams, he plays a huge role. When you get in these close games, especially it becomes more uh, under the spotlight, but Illinois was really fortunate um, under Lovey Smith in the final year of Brett Bielema that they had Blake Hayes, they had James McCourt, uh, Chase McLaughlin, right? And, you worked in some new guys. I think Caleb Griffin has a chance to play at the next level. I don't. I don't know if Hugh does, especially given his age. But how old is he? Is he thirty? That's incredible. Um, yeah, he turned thirty in January. Uh, so he he was good though at the end of the year. Um, the last three games, Hugh Robinson was really good, and he was really good in the spring when we saw him. So I think he needed that under the limelight and learn from it. But I do think special teams will be 
just to get your point, I think they'll be better there than they were last year. What's the formula for this to be a good year for Alt Meyer? Technically a sophomore in terms of eligibility, right? Yeah. Which so is part of the reason I love that transfer. But, um, you know, my my sort of calculation as to how this can be a good year for him is that there's no way he's going to match, I don't think, the efficiency of a Tommy DeVito. Right. But what he might lack in that, I'd like to think being able to stretch the field a little bit more. I, I go back to that bowl game, and I love Tommy, and he's welcome back to Lot 30, because his parents would always tailgate in Lot 31, and he's sort of a folk hero for good reason. I'm but, sure that was a pretty pretty good tailgate with Tom Seymour. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> talked to his mom. It was actually before the Iowa game, and I talked to his mom for about 10 minutes, and she's every bit the Jersey oh, mom that, you would that expect. that is the Jersey family. Totally, totally. Sure. So uh, that bowl game, though, I think kind of indicated or highlighted his deficiencies. Uh, right. There was one play in particular uh, where if Isaiah Williams wide open, it's like a 20, 25 yard slant out kind of pass. Mm-hmm. He's wide open, missed badly on the throw. And uh, I, I think that would have put you in position for the game winning field goal or to ice it. Cause at that point you were up 12 to 10, yeah. maybe regardless, it, that was one play that I was, I think indicative of his, relative lack of ability to stretch the field. And I'm thinking, hey, Altmeyer could be 10% less completion percentage, yeah. yet still give you a different look. Well, it's amazing because Tommy DeVito did what Illinois struggled, did well what Illinois struggled at for so long, which was hit singles and doubles, right? Like he hit singles and doubles really well at yeah. a very efficient rate. Like within 10 yards, he was great. I also don't think he had the best wide receiver core. Let's be honest. Like Isaiah Williams is still trying, like was still trying to become a wide receiver. He got way better at it last year. Pat Bryant was young. Pat Bryant's still young. Casey Washington's not explosive. Brian Wa- Brian Hightower's not explosive. So was the deal with Hightower because when he transferred, I was concerned. Yeah, he seemed to be a good outlet on like third and seven, third and eights, and I know Casey Washington can do that. Big body. Did he not? Was the big body giving us maybe a heightened expectation of big play potential? That maybe wasn't there consistently. Yeah, he's just not a guy who's going to get separation. Okay. He's, he's a guy that's got to go up and get it or box somebody out. Where did he land? He's in Cal. Oh. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, kind cool. of close to home for him. Not, yeah. I mean, San Francisco's not really close to L.A., but it's way closer than than Champaign is. Sure. So, I think he's going to have a bigger role there. Um, but he was, he was a solid piece of that wide receiver rotation. 450 yards last year. He was kind of a guy who could be a big play threat. They just don't have anybody who can take the top off of defense. Uh, I do think Isaiah Williams is going to play that role more. I think Brett Bielma noticed that, hey, this guy's speed we can use, but that means they need another slot to step up. So that position, George McDonald's done a really good job recruiting. It's just they're so young. But can Pat Bryant take that next step? Can he be more explosive? Because we did see signs of him, especially early in the year. Yeah, before the injury. Yeah, he kind of faded late in the year, but early in the year he looked like a future number one. Kind of reminds me of like a Malik Turner type of guy. Um, but then, of course, you have Malik Elzey, who's got not just size and physicality, but also has explosiveness. Like he can run away from people and get mm-hmm. on top of people. But Canary Wilcher is a guy, I'll, I'll name a freshman, that they're really excited about just pure speed. Uh, Hank Beatty is going to, I think Hank Beatty is a slot you Good can hands play guy. along with Isaiah Williams. Great hands can kind of play those underneath routes while Isaiah can maybe stretch the field a little bit more this year. But you started with Luke Altmaier, the expectations. I do expect him to be able to hit the home run more, but he's still got to be able to hit singles and doubles. And that's a huge part of offense, so a huge part of getting to a manageable second and third down. 
Um, and for me, it's about limiting big mistakes, the crushing mistakes. He's going to have growing pains, right? He just hasn't played a lot of football. Tommy DeVito had played so much Power 5 football. Luke Altmaier has experience in a quarterback room in these big in some big environments of playing a little bit of football. I mean, he played in the Sugar Bowl. Um, but he's just there's going to be mistakes he makes that Tommy DeVito wouldn't have. Um, so you just hope he limits those enough to where the upside of him, the down the field throws and the other, it's not just the down the field throws. Cause it's not like he's, I don't think he has a West Lunt arm, but he's got a really good arm with great touch. Mm-hmm. The other part of his game that they are really excited about is his running ability. Tommy showed it early in the season. Then he had to the Iowa. ankle injury. Um, but I thought they could have used him more in the red zone. I thought they could use Isaiah Williams a little bit more in the red zone. That was the one touchdown they got in the bowl game, right? Right. Tommy. Yeah. So I, I just think they can use his legs, but the downside of that is he's skinny. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a slender guy comparatively uh, to some of the other guys they've had. So uh, he's got he's to hold up physically as well to the Big Ten. So he, he's a huge storyline. I mean, he's, he's a huge key to this team being any good, but he is talented. You know, this coaching staff tends to play things close to the vest. You were going through the wide receivers, though, and they seem to talk pretty highly about that room. They seem to talk pretty highly about the quarterback room. Do you think that the sense within that Smith Performance Center is that they have their guy for the next three years? I, I'm sure that they would have taken Hudson Card, because who wouldn't? Yeah. But... I think this card's pretty good. That's that's probably that's, is. that's why if, if I were Purdue, I feel, so. feel like I got a, got a chance there. Yeah, Ugh, but uh, God, that game's just gonna be. <laughs> I'm going to pull my hair out that entire freaking time. Because you know, I think both coaching staffs are pretty excited about that game. Why not? I get. I need to listen to the Ryan Walters interview you had with him, and uh, I think it's all. I've got kind of gotten over it. Uh, I'm not. I'm. I don't actually feel surly towards him. It's. It's. Oh, I can. I can guarantee you, there's some surliness between those staffs. Yeah, it's a competitive fire, Mm -hmm. right? And. I get it because you know Ryan does some things similar because he learned under Brett Bielma. Some of his staff was on here under Brett Bielma, but um, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. It's fun that that rivalry, which I don't think has been that big, added and not added up a couple notches now. Do you, do you think they feel like they have their guy in Luke Altmaier? I think that remains to be seen. I think they he they think he can be, um, but you got to see it when the live bullets are flying, right and. You know, they are excited about Donovan Leary. Um, I don't think he's going to win the job. And only a sophomore eligibility as well, right? Or technically he's a freshman because of COVID. Yeah, and, and John Paddock adds a nice competitiveness, leader, vocal guy. Um, he's really undersized. He, he's not as talented as, as the other quarterback. So I don't think he's going to be a starter. But I do think Donovan Leary long-term uh, is is a piece they really value. Uh, Luke Altmaier is more talented. He's a better athlete. But if Altmaier were to struggle long-term, I do think Larry's a guy they're, they're pretty excited about that could potentially be an answer there. But I think they're cautiously optimistic that Luke Altmaier will be that guy. I mean, they wouldn't have added him if they didn't. But I still think there's a kind of a, hey, he's got to go prove it within that room. And they've talked a lot about how they do things differently than Ole Miss. Brett Bielma mentioned it. And then today we talked to Barry Loney, and I know you've talked to Barry he mentioned it again that he's learning how we do things. I wonder huh. if you think of you think of Lane Kiffin and that offense. It's pretty high flying, aggressive. Brett Bielma was a little bit more conservative, taking care of the football, mm-hmm. football IQ, down in distance. You know when to take your chances, when not to. Um, so I wonder if there's going to be some growing pains and just all of that. So it's just been interesting. And I asked Barry again, like, what is that difference? And he wouldn't really dive fully into it and give me the specifics. But my read is just Lane's offense is really aggressive, score 45 points. 
Illinois is not trying to win football games that way. They're trying to win football games by being smart. They do want to take their chances mm-hmm. when those chances are there and when they're open. But uh, I wouldn't say it's conservative, but it's a little bit more um, complimentary? opportunistic. Oh, sure. And yeah, then yeah, also can... knowing that your defense is probably yes. going to be solid. Complimentary. Com- they, they talk about complimentary football and football IQ and football 101 all the time. Well, I actually found last year, I mean, I mean winning cures all. And certainly the last five games were frustrating in, mm-hmm. in many respects. But when they were 7-1... It was the, the, I found the efficiency really exciting. And I'll go back to the Minnesota game. I mean, he scored 26 points total. So it's not like he put 45 on him. Might as well have been, though. Should, like, you dominated that game. You only won by 12. Yeah, Yeah, right. But at the same time, even when you were up six, you felt like, ah, game over. We got, I mean, there's this weird comfort and confidence that builds when you see a team that just does all the little things right which is such a far cry from even Illinois successful years were usually predicated on an explosive offense and an opportunistic defense not a great defense but an opportunistic one even the Rose Bowl year so there is this weird sexiness in the relative unsexiness of this okay we got good guys in the trenches we have an efficient offense we have a stingy defense I'm finding that uh, all those years of getting, you know, very frustrated of the Iowas and Wisconsin's of the world getting the seven, eight, nine wins, that I am more than happy to replicate that. I don't yes. need run and gun, five wide, any of that crap. I just want wins, and uh, I like the identity that they seem to be fostering with it. And that style of football is consistent, right? Like that—that's the biggest thing. Like you know, Lovey Smith. The one issue was you relied so much on turnovers that it was kind of fluky at, at times. And we could sense that. Yeah, 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 you absolutely could. And offensively, they were a mess. But um, the key is you're not going to have the number one defense in the country. Right? You're not going to have the number one scoring defense likely in the country. I think you're going to be really good. Can you have top 20, top 25 still? Yeah, sure. I think Ab- so. Absolutely, I think you could. Uh, I think they'll be one of the better defenses in the Big Ten, which is always, you know, they might have like eight teams in the top 25, but they, they will they'll be there. Um but offensively, you got to take a step forward. And Ninety-one, I, I think, scoring offense last year. Yeah, and you know everyone talks about replacing Chase Brown. Listen, Chase Brown was awesome. It was one of the best years individually in Illinois history, which is a great history of running backs. But Illinois was middle of the pack running the ball. I think like rushing yards per game, they were yeah. middle of the pack in the country, middle of the pack in the Big Ten. Second half of the season, especially. Yeah, they can get better there. Um, and the biggest thing is the red zone. Like they move the football really well, pretty much from the 20 to 20. They have to be able to score in the red zone. They have to get more big plays. Uh, I don't expect them to be one of the high flying biggest play teams in the country, but just the plays of 20 plus yards, there has to be way more of them. They were bottom half and plays of 20 plus yards. They were 119th in plays of 40 plus yards. Uh, they have to get more explosive on that side of the ball. But I do think you saw the signs of Barry, what he's trying to be offensively, where it's physical, but it's also a little bit more modern mm-hmm. spread elements with with screen passes, and, and uh, but you're still going to just try and, and bowl people over. I'm interested. I think that's one of the biggest storylines of the year outside of Aaron taking over for Ryan, but it's how does Barry Lunny build on that offensive performance? Because if they're a top-half offense – I think they can win the Big Ten West. Oh, they're top half. I, I would presume Indy at that point yeah. because I, I can't assume that Iowa's going to have a top half Correct. offense. And then all things being equal, two good defenses there. You know, talking to Barry, I, I really appreciated his candor. And I, I, I thought he, he seemed open and authentic. I didn't really have any questions about that. And yeah. even with the struggles last year, there were moments where I got <clears throat> frustrated. Yeah, and then I, he, and then he I, got frustrated. I can tell you that well, much. Yeah. yeah, for sure, and he admitted as much. And I, I think, though, in reflection, I want to be careful about this with Chase. 
because I, I remember going into this basketball season. Well, I love Kofi, but Kofi kind of set your identity. And I asked Barry Lenny something similar about Chase Brown and how that influences your play calling. And he was pretty honest about it. Like if you got like I the comparison I made to him is if you got Eddie Van Halen in your band, he's yeah. taking a guitar solo every song because yeah. he's Eddie Van Halen. You gotta give Chase Brown. Play the, the hits. Ball. <laughs> play the hits. Right. Or as uh what Paul Petrino said, feed the studs, right? Yeah. Now, that all said though, I do think that I have this confidence in Barry Lenny that really the stats shouldn't allow me to have, and yet I feel as if he is a sound offensive coordinator that will maybe be able to open. I mean, he said himself, the first to second year is such a huge jump, not just for him as a play caller, but for an offense that is still returning more guys than not. Yeah. And your team is not better because Chase Brown is gone. No, like it it is not. He's an unbelievable player. And we'll get to the secondary in a bit too. Yeah. Um, But there is an element of, does it open things up for Barry that because he doesn't feel like he's got to feed a Heisman candidate. Um, he doesn't feel like I have no one else. Was well, he it? doesn't have, you don't have that crutch anymore of Chase Brown. So Moore is going to rely on that. But also, Josh McCray's injury was significant mm-hmm. last year. You didn't have another running back like that ready to play. Uh, I think they would have loved to have worked Jordan Anderson in to be a bigger back, but by the time he was ready, you were playing in huge games, Michigan State and Purdue. Not a good I mean? place. That's a t- <laughs> give a guy a first carry in one yeah. of those games. That's a, that's a really tough place, and that, that's what I find interesting about this year. Is do you have a game where you can work some of these depth pieces in? You Toledo? mentioned that with Joe. You do not. You, Toledo, you, don't, you don't unless you Florida Atlantic. <laughs> and at that point, you kind of hope so because yeah. that's game four. After a big one against Penn State, you hope yeah. somehow, somehow in that second half you can find your way to a few score lead. But Josh McCray just would have helped Illinois immensely because one, you would have had a goal line threat. You would have had a guy who can really move the pocket. Because as good as Chase Brown is at everything, his weakness is he's not a guy who moves the pile. He's he's just not. He's not that big of a guy. Um, that's like asking like Josh Ferguson to do it. Josh Ferguson that wasn't who he was. So the fact that you have that option now and potentially Jordan Anderson and Caden Fagan to do that is is really good. Uh, but also you're gonna have probably two three running backs running the ball it means your main guy, which I think could end up being Josh McCray, is probably gonna be have more energy at the end of the game. Chase was worn down. I mean he had games of. He had a 43-carry game. He was ineffective. <laughs> I mean, think about the Northwestern game. Very ineffective. And I, yeah, I think that was... He was injured by that point. But yeah. like, yeah, Michigan, he was unbelievable. Uh, in the fourth quarter, he looked like he was out of gas. In some of those games, he looked like he was out of gas late in the games. And because you relied on him so much, um, you just didn't really have anywhere else to go. That's where it's so important that the guys in year two of the system take their game to another level. Isaiah Williams... It needs to be one of the best wide receivers in the Big Ten. I, I think he's going to get a ton of touches this yeah. year. I'm not surprised if he had 100 touches. Pat Bryant, show that you can be a number one wide receiver. You're going to be an NFL dra- uh, prospect, right? I, th- I think he can get to that level this year. I think Tip Ryman's in for a good year. Um, I know he didn't catch the ball very well down the field last year. He's been working all offseason. And the fact that we're talking about Tip Ryman after he walked on as a six-foot Six two hundred seventeen pound. You were banging that drum well before they, anybody they else. Loved yeah. They loved him. They loved him for everything you wanted Luke Ford to be. Tip Ryman was that last year, and now that he's taken, they think he can take a big step as a pass catcher. So I think he's a guy that that can help elevate the entire room. And then you're hoping that 
whether it's Elzey or Canary Wiltshire or Colin Dixon or whoever it is, I think Reggie Love can be a very good player. You're just hoping that you lost your best player, but you're hoping everyone else steps it up so that you have more weapons, makes you less predictable, and makes Barry's job a little bit easier. And I think Luke Altmaier's legs is, is going to play into that because for half the season, you didn't have really that threat last year of having that quarterback run. Yeah, I like this position to be in where uh, any improvements that you need to make are more incremental than ex- yes. than exponential. And that while you are losing a Chase Brown and you are losing a top five defensive back along with two other NFL draftees in the secondary, you do feel as if other areas in each unit are going to naturally be better. So that can take a little bit off the onus off of it. You know, the good thing about the defense is, and we saw this plenty with the really good Lovey Smith Bears defenses, if you have a good front, mm-hmm. it makes the secondary look that much better. Now, if the secondary is just plain bad, it's which what I Lovey never had here. Yeah. Like Lovey never really had a strong defensive front. A couple line. individuals that Carney were strong, was maybe? good. Yeah. I mean, Roundtree before obviously the accident mm-hmm. was was turning into a really good player. Roderick Perry was pretty good. Um you know, obviously, some of the linebackers, Delshawn Phillips, I think was underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake Hansen, but they're just you weren't strong up front. This this front seven, I guess I'd call it a front six because you got five defensive backs on the field most of the time. This front six could play for Michigan, yeah, Penn State, and that's not hyperbole. I mean, no. this is NFL draftees. All like Penn over State's the place. defense is absolutely loaded. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely loaded this year. That's the difference between them and two years ago when Illinois beat them. Yeah. Um, Michigan, obviously loaded, but I think if you put Illinois' defensive front six in Michigan uniforms, nobody would notice the difference. That's high praise. I think right. you know maybe Ohio State, even though Ohio State might not be as productive, but those guys are just freaks. Like they're, oh, they're yeah, all five star uh, freaks. For sure. <laughs> uh I, I look at this secondary and the kind of conundrum you're facing where there is inexperience but the good news is that there will be less on them because of the strength of that front six now that being said um you know taz nicholson you slot him in i know that you and joey had a really good podcast where you were kind of piecing together the secondary from what you do know but what are the second and third most known quantities back there because from what i understand uh, one of your safeties is not Matt Bailey. Yeah, Bailey's yeah, not playing at the moment. Yeah, and he was he's in a boot right now. Um, so a little bit concerned I would have about Matt Bailey being ready for for week one. I mean, Brett Bielma said he should be, but I guess we'll see. Though they did spend much of the offseason getting another guy and another guy, and they kept getting more and more guys yes. as if they kind of knew that yeah. this could be a thing. I wrote about it this morning about that competition. I think it's the most intriguing position battle um, of the Illinois training camp. I mean, offensive line is really interesting. I think Josh Kruitz is going to be your center, and I think uh, Zach Crystal is going to play right tackle, and I think Josh Geske might be your right guard. Mm-hmm. Him and Jordan Slaughter kind of battling that one out. I'm excited for Kruitz. Yeah, I mean the name it gets a lot of people excited, but they tried to like. We'll get back to the secondary. Yeah, they spent all offseason trying to upgrade. They did, and the guy that went to Auburn that would have been your that would have been your center. Uh, For all the Inquirer members, yes, Mm -hmm. Avery Jones committed Illinois once. If you didn't know that, at how many times we've written it, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they loved him, and he was really good, and that's why that one stung because it was a it was a big upgrade, and I think Illinois, uh, if they had him. Boy, this offensive line might have a chance to be better than last year. Well, he goes he goes to Auburn. They added JUCO kid and, and Will Lease. I think will add to the competition. But um, it seems like Cruz made a good impression in the spring, and he's undersized. I mean, he's going to get this in his entire career, just like Doug Kramer did. He's a little smaller than Doug Kramer. Um, probably a hair over six foot. I think they listed him at two eighty. Wasn't like Luke Buckus undersized? Yes, I think Cruz is a little smaller. 
Okay. Um, I'm just, I only raise that yes, comparison because it's of a the position, lineage kind of thing. It's and, a position you can overcome it, especially from what I understand in Barry's offense, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, they move him a lot. Mm-hmm. They move the center a lot, but you got to be intelligent. You got to be tough. Josh Cruz is those two things. Sure. So I am excited to see what he is. Cause I liked him as a prospect. I, for all his undersizedness, uh, the, the flaw there, I did think he could be a Kramer type or Buckkiss type that just overcomes it because he's good at everything else. He's quick off the the ball. Um, so I'm really I'm really interested to see him. I think Zach Chrysler's in for a big year. But getting back to the secondary, the one upside of your struggle of staying healthy there last year is Tyler Strain played a lot. And was played, pretty good late in the season. He played really well. Mm-hmm. He played really well. Um, Didn't he get most of the snaps in the bowl game too? Yeah, yeah. yeah he played a lot. Um, Which I thought the secondary did everything you asked them to. Yeah, no, game. the secondary was fantastic, and that game, especially against Will Rogers. I know they had a bunch of passing yards. Um, well, maybe, they were going to get theirs. Yeah, maybe the final drive where they get you know. Ready. Well, you know the frustrating thing. I mean, not to beat a dead horse because I had such a great time down there despite <laughs> the result. I mean, Tampa was great. The bowl game was great. But saw Ian Ebor. It was a good time. Seen Ebor was great. Yeah, great neighborhood to stay in, and uh, went to St. Pete the day after the bowl game. So loved it. Would totally go back yeah. to the Rely Quest. But uh, it was by the skin of their teeth. That they finally broke through the end zone. If you remember yeah. that touchdown, yeah, they reviewed it and reviewed it. We couldn't get a good look on it in the stands, yeah. and uh, th- th- I just think that speaks to you know, Aaron Henry as a play caller. I thought yeah, had a great plan great that game. game, but the secondary and Tyler String being one of those young guys that was kind of thrust in there, um, along with a few others like the Iowa game. Um, well, I-, I wanted to mention like Tyler String. I thought was pretty good last year, and, and they they tried to upgrade a corner. Right, they've yeah. added two JUCOs and Caleb Patterson and and Prince Ford. That I think give them a little bit more veteran, a little bit more maturity. Uh, but they got some freshmen who, who are intriguing. But you don't want to play those guys right away. Sabor Kareem's your guy. I uh, love Sabor before he was a four star, and I, th- I thought him and Jair Hill were like neck and neck for mm-hmm. me. Um, so when they landed Sabor, I, I tried to make it a bigger deal. I just didn't have the four star by his name yet. I eventually got it in the yeah. composite. Um, really talented. Now this might take some time, but the great thing about the opt outs too that. You know, people didn't like that those players opted out. You know, Tyler Strain played. Xavier Scott, who's going to be probably your nickel, replacing mm-hmm. Quan Martin, is going to play a lot. Uh, and he got those snaps under his belt in a huge situation. I mean, Xavier Scott's playing at Michigan in the big house. Didn't play well that game, by the way. But he's got that experience. He's yeah. already gotten his feet wet. So that now going into this year, he's not going to be all that nervous uh, going against Kansas. Like, he's played bigger games than that um and then matthew bailey of course if he, if he gets healthy they think he can be a star um and he, he can play in multiple safety positions but then you've added three transfer safeties nicario harper i think is kind of a thumper in the box a really good athlete probably play that sydney and by brown. that you mean the sydney yeah yeah sydney brown kind of role uh could potentially play nickel as well uh demetrius hill looks the part like really looks the part you know, when you're a freshman All-American, that term is so loaded. You think he's going to be a star right away. I still think he's got to prove himself at this level, but they really like his talent and they think he's really smart. Aaron Henry told us that the other day. Uh, and then Clayton Bush, I, I think, you know, he's kind of got some Prather Hudson to him, but he's probably a, he's a bigger athlete. He's a better athlete. Um, gives you more depth there. So I think they did a really good job of making sure that one injury does not just take away that entire secondary this year. So the depth they've had across the roster, there's still some issues, uh, I would say, especially on the defensive line. But the secondary, I think, can withstand an injury or two. And the staff's just been really good at developing him. You lost Ryan Walters, but Aaron Henry's been a part of that. Finellis obviously comes from the same coaching tree. So they they do a great job of developing the skill sets there. And just the mindset of that feisty, physical, out 
kind of outplay your size like that Devin Witherspoon had, Sidney Brown had. I still think they got that in that room. They don't seem overly concerned about I don't, the secondary. It's it's going to be the weakness and the unknown of the defense, but I do think like I think defensive back has more talent than a linebacker for Illinois, the inside linebackers. Mm. But um, I mean, you mentioned it that if we know what Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph are going to be, and Johnny Newton, I don't know if he can play better than he played last year. I. I I don't know if he can play better, but just by coming back, he's now projected from like a fourth rounder to a first rounder just by coming Smart. back. Make a, make a few hundred thousand dollars <laughs> in the meantime. And... Right, a million probably. Yeah. But I, I don't know if he can be better, but he's not going to be worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keith Randolph, I think, can get way better. Uh, T-Rod Edwards, I think, is going to be good. But the guys I think can get way better are Gabe Ackes, um, who's pretty consistent for a freshman. Uh, wasn't as flashy. He had a couple two-sack games against some lower-level opponents, but I think he can be better against the Big Ten just getting to the quarterback, getting the quarterback on the ground. Uh, and then Seth Coleman, I, I thought, had a three- or four-week stretch. During that Big Ten West win streak in October, he was lights out. Then he had a little injury and kind of faded down yeah, the stretch. Yeah. Those guys, if they get better, um, if they take another huge step to being NFL guys, I think – that makes the secondary job so much so much easier. And I think that's that's an area Brett Bielma thought, as good as the defense was, we weren't good enough of, of getting the quarterback to the ground and, and pressuring the quarterback even more. Yeah, back in the – this is way back, but 1994, um, the great defense, one of the best in the country, and it was the strength of the front seven. Yeah. If you asked me to name one of the four defensive backs, I'd actually struggle to do that right now. But but with, those guys should have plenty of opportunities for interceptions with the pressure. That they that should. Front, they front should. And, I mean, even last year it was Matthew Bailey that got the game-sealing interception against Iowa. Why? Because they got in um, – who was the scrub quarterback for Iowa? I forget. I mean – not Stanzi. Stanzi was way back in the day. Padilla. Uh, poor Padilla. Who came in for... Uh, who was the... Uh, Peachers. Oh, good God. Spencer Peachers. Uh, let's, let's end this by talking about the overall strength of the program. And then we don't... I won't put, hey, how many ones is Illinois going to get this year? But I think we could talk about, we we could do a ceiling and a floor kind of thing too for fun. But uh, I guess my second to last question here would be just a general question about Brett Bielema and what it's like for you to cover a program that is in this general state of health, which it does feel like a healthy program when you've covered so many programs that have been in flux, constant changeover. Um, It's been a pretty tumultuous 15 years for Illinois football dating back to the tail end of the Zook era. So for me, from a fan's perspective, I just feel a a tremendous weight off knowing that there's, there's some known things when you go into a Saturday in lot 31, you kind of know what you're going to get in the stadium. And that's more than I can say for most of my experience, just watching it. Yeah. The, the one thing, I mean, obviously he's such a competent coach, which Illinois football has needed for, for so long. I do think there's some things we can quibble about with his in-game execution at times, but there's not a lot of like, what is he thinking with the time on the clock? There's not a lot of those things happening when it felt like Illinois football, that was, they couldn't just execute a game plan. Like mm-hmm. they just couldn't execute like, Hey, there's this much time on the clock. We should call a timeout or let's wind down the clock a little bit. Like clock management stuff. Like they always struggled with, but the biggest thing is he's such a good CEO. Everything is organized. Everything is purposeful. And everybody is on from what I've understood. You know, not everyone's going to be happy all the time. Right. Cause only so many people can play. Not every parent's going to be happy at all the time, but he communicates in a way that it doesn't seem to become a problem in his program. Um, the coaches are all on the same page. The way they talk about it, the way they recruit, they're all on the same page. They're all involved. 
can't tell you how many times, whether it was Tim Beckman or Bill Cubitt or Lovey Smith, it felt like they were all kind of working different angles and not everyone was aligned and there was like complaining about each other. That doesn't happen uh, with this staff. They're all so complimentary of each other and help each other and know they're all going for the same purpose and that if everybody does well, they're all going to do well. Just like Ryan Walters and Kevin Kane and Joe Deneen and Grant O'Brien all got jobs at Purdue, right? Like it all helps everybody out. So um, I just think his ability to control every aspect of his program, like he's an insane work ethic, um, probably works too much, but it's because he wants to have every aspect covered and he has got his fingerprints on every aspect of the program. That was not the case with Lovie Smith, right? That was just not the case. Now he'll let his coordinators call plays. He'll let the coaches coach their guys, but there's a, a game plan. Bielma has his input and then he goes and lets his guys coach. But with his players, there's just an unbelievable relationship. I mean, go back two years ago, Carp. The fact that Illinois did not have a ton of transfers and just like lose their entire roster, the fact that they kept all those guys who are now in the NFL or mm-hmm. are still a huge parts of this team. I mean, even this last offseason. Yeah, or who stayed. Left? Like, Hightower. Johnny or... Newton's still here. Yeah. Isaiah Adams is still here. It kind of, no matter what you think of Brad Underwood, the fact that Terrence Shannon and Colm Hawkins stayed is a very good sign about that coaching staff. Yes. And I think that's the same thing about these guys because they could be in NFL training camps right now. They chose to come back because they trust that staff to get them in the next level. Aaron Henry stayed here instead of going with Ryan Walters because he trusts Brett Bielma to help develop him. Jim Leonard is now in the office because he thinks Brett Bielma can help him become a head coach. I think that says, that says all you need to know about Brett Bielma and, and – what people think of it. Yeah. Um, it, it trickles down all the way to the fans in the parking lot. Yeah. Like I just noticed last year, and it was really that October swing that I, I think changed my entire complexion well, he actually of what commu- this is. He communicates with you fans. Mm-hmm. Like he, he actually cares. He's in the community. He gets it. He gets that there is a difference of being a CEO of a college program than say the NFL program. Mm-hmm. And that especially in a program like Illinois, you have to be out there hawking tickets. You have to be until you win enough to where people are just, it's the thing to do. Um, he embraces that and uh, dude, he wants to be here. Like I, I wrote it. Uh, I know I did get the, the FOIA back that yes. Oh, you got, got the FOIA back. Yes. He's okay. got, he's got a non-compete. It's in, in the, the contract. Big Ten. Uh, the only job I think he would ever leave for is an NFL head coaching job. Yeah. Um, and if, it, if that is the case and you get to that point, guess what? <laughs> Aaron Henry, new head coach, you just move. Or Barry Lenny or whatever it is. Yes. Like, and I have thought about that because, um, you know, we, we see in college football, well, it doesn't really matter what sport, but coaches are like, well, I don't know, five, six years, and then they move on. And that's those are usually the unsuccessful ones. But even successful ones, I, I thought to myself, if there was a need for a change or he goes somewhere, you would feel as if, okay, well, this isn't the reset button. You feel like, okay, well, yeah. you're just kind of continuing on from where he left. And this, in a similar way to what, I guess, Paul Chris was right after him at Wisconsin and it yeah. was able to roll along. Yeah, uh, I just think... He hasn't told me this, but I asked him about, like, do you you saw Hayden do what he did at Iowa. You saw what Barry was at Wisconsin. Like, do you see that at Illinois? And he's like, yeah, I, I knew that my legacy at Wisconsin was not going to be Barry Alvarez. He was the guy after Barry Alvarez. And I know there was trepidation about Iowa. Like, that would be the one job. He'd that's be the why guy, yeah, that's... The, the non-compete cause is the Iowa cause, let's mm-hmm. be honest, because yep. it's his alma mater. Obviously, it's a great program with all those resources and great fan base, all of that. But um, I think Kirk's going to be there a while, but I think Brett goes, I don't want to be the guy after Kirk, right? Mm-hmm. I want to I want to be that at Illinois. I want to be the Hayden Fry 
at Illinois. I want to be the Barry Alvarez or Kirk Ferentz at Illinois or Bill Snyder yep. at Illinois. Um, and I think he can be. It's not easy, and it's not going. It's getting harder in the Big Ten, um, and maybe our measure of success of what Illinois football success is. Maybe it's a, I don't know, Great Lakes title, division title. <laughs> what are we going to call these divisions? Yeah, yeah. But like, maybe it's that. But I, I do think he he can bring competent, consistent, sustained success to Illinois, whatever that measure is. If he is successful, I'm sure, like Iowa fans, I will get tired of the seven and five. Yeah. You know that that kind of thing. But at the moment, I won't. Which leads me to, um, if we were to make a prediction about this year, and, and mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of posit to you what I think is going to happen. Yeah, I think they're going to win the first two. And the reason I say that, as tricky as the Toledo and Kansas games are, if I truly feel as confident as I do in this coaching staff and all the veterans that are coming back and the chip-on-the-shoulder mindset that I think will be riding with them throughout the year, mm-hmm. they certainly will not be overlooking Toledo or Kansas. And I think they'll have a game plan. They'll execute it. Do you hear what Brett Boom was doing? Uh, I love the, the night practices. Well, he, he won't he won't call Toledo Toledo. He calls them Mac champs. <sighs> every, <laughs> He's like, I, I do not call them Toledo. I call them Mac champs. I need to be careful because everything this guy does, I'm like, I love that guy. I mean, <laughs> I, then, he, then he loses to Toledo and you're like, what the I hell know, is going on? No, but I could see like, this is where, this is where the game by game predictions, I always do one just for fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everyone, everyone loves it. I kind of, ch- I try to chunk it up a little right, bit. Right. But like. I can. I probably will pick a two and one non-conference. I'll probably have them being Florida Atlantic, but I'll probably have them dropping one of those first ones. Just good growing pains. Mm-hmm. Just like Indiana last year, they were by far a better team. Like you knew watching that. If you watched the Indiana game, you're like, this team has gotten way better. Yet they shot themselves in the foot so many times. Had one bad call against them. And with a new quarterback, that's certainly a concern. But like after the Indiana game, I even wrote like the Colin Pride I'm looking now. Like man, it just feels like. Illinois, will they ever have the breakthrough? Because, oh, I felt that. Right. I didn't I didn't walk in the stadium for the Virginia game because I was too pissed off. But you kn- I couldn't do it. You knew they were better. Yeah. It's just can they stop shooting themselves in the foot? And then they did, and look how good it was for the next seven games. Um I, I do think this team probably will have some growing pains at certain points. And against Toledo or Kansas, that could cost you. Penn State's a really tough game. Um Fort Atlantic, they need to beat, but I'll probably pick them like two and one in the non-conference just because I do think they could have a setback there. But I don't like if they lose to Toledo or they lose to Kansas, like that's not going to be one of those games for me that a lot of fans in the past have said, oh, they aren't different. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they're going to disappoint. I think they're going to get better as the season goes along um, because they just got guys that they're working in that'll need to get better and all those things. But they have a coaching staff that I think will get them on the right path if that happens. But if, yeah, if they started two and oh, and they get to say they lose to Penn State, but you got a chance two and zero against Penn State. You might have a chance to get some votes at that oh, point in the poll, especially yeah. if you going to Kansas and beat them and have an impressive performance. And you got big noon kickoff here. That's a chance to really make a statement. And if you're able to get to to four and zero to start that year, I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Like Illinois is going to have a ton of buzz uh, and probably be considered the Big Ten West favorite going into that Purdue game. Oh man, I'm gonna be a nervous wreck on September 30th. But like, but I again, I will probably pick them to lose one of those Toledo or Kansas games, um, just because I I think this team's gonna have some growing pains mm-hmm. at certain points. But again, I just I think they'll bounce back from it, and I, I do think I could see them losing to Kansas and beating Penn State. Like, wouldn't that be yeah, like, yeah an Illinois kind of thing? And it's it's kind of what the Big Ten West is. The Big Ten West just has these teams that 
one week could look like, yeah, that's a really mid team. Mm -hmm. And then the next one's like, oh, maybe that team will win the West. I think if they find their way to a two and one start, no matter how they do it, they will be fine. And by fine, I mean like eight, four kind of season. Um, if you do start one and two, there's, there's a lot of, you know, you got to start working your way back and Florida Atlantic gives you a chance to do that. And I think to an extent Purdue does because you're getting them early in the year where they're working in a lot of pieces themselves. I think that overall that stretch right there of the Florida Atlantic Purdue. And I want to say the game after that is, is fairly winnable as well. That, that one of the most interesting games and nobody's probably gonna have it oh Nebraska season. yeah that that three game stretch to me is the one where you can make there. hay a lot of night games there the one one game that intrigues me so much and it just I don't know why but it's sticking out to me is like a swing game for Illinois this year is at Maryland you aren't gonna win that game I already know it you just aren't <laughs> uh, you, it's, it's, it's just, a weird <laughs> place to play like the fan base is fine but they yeah. just don't they're, they're kind of Indiana-ish because they care more about basketball uh, but they're talented and Loxley's got a good offense, and they're, they got a bunch of NFL guys on that team. And it's just kind of a sleeper game that no one's getting excited about because you got Purdue, you got Nebraska, you got these Big Ten West opponents. But that Maryland game just, for whatever reason, feels like a big swing game. And then opinion. after that is Wisconsin. I think because of the timing of it, but yeah. sandwiched between Nebraska-Wisconsin home games, one of them's primetime Friday, and then the Wisconsin will likely be a yeah. – it might be a big noon if you keep winning. Who knows? But, um, yeah, no, I – Karen and I are going to be in Vegas because we have a fall break yeah. for that Maryland game. So we're going to try to find one of those spots, the the pool and the big TV. I forget what it's called. Circus Sports. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we, that, we, did, that, we yeah. did that for the uh, when we were in Vegas last time for the Michigan. Yeah, right. Unbelievable. Um, but here's my measure of success. Like we talked seven, eight wins, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Win more Big Ten games than you lose. To me, that is the measure of success. Illinois has not had two back-to-back -back winning Big Ten seasons since 92-93. 30 years, Carp. McEvick and Tepper. Yeah. They had a, I think, and one of them was a 4-3 in one year. So there was some four. Oh, the tie. That, was, that like, was a 5-5 five, five and one finish. There was like a 4-4 four and yeah. four year and like a 4-4 four and four year. Mm -hmm. But that's not winning more than you lost, like, yeah. right? That was eight games. Um, but if you can be over 500 in the Big Ten for two straight years, to me, that is that is sustainable. That is sustained success. That is building on what you have done. So for me, like... That can mean you go one and two or two and one in the non-conference or three and zero oh in the non-conference. But against your conference foes, um, are you winning more than you lose? To Be me, that is that's the right now measure of success for Big Ten. Because you have what I would like to consider three wins in your back pocket with Nebraska, Indiana, Northwestern at home, and I, I do consider all the. I mean, if if this team is as good as I think you and I think they will be, you're going to win those three games. You feel fairly confident given where they're at in the season. Yeah. Which means for the other six, you merely have to go two and four. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's too tall of a task when you avoid Michigan and Ohio State. I think that uh, Wisconsin getting them at home is advantageous. I wouldn't like it if the shoe was on the other foot and you had to go up there in a raucous Luke Fickle first-year right. environment, uh, even though he did well last year. Um, Iowa, I, I the measure tough, of Tough game at Kinnick. Here's the measure of success for me, I think. Um I would be fine with eight and four, however you get there, Music City Bowl, or another trip to Tampa, even though I know it's not likely. But if you are have any Big Ten West implications when you go to Iowa, that to me is the next yeah. step above a merely yeah, just, successful season. And it's weird to say that like kind of copying last year mm -hmm. is the measure of success. But for me, it, it's about doing it again. And you know what the difference is? Because of the history of Illinois. If you avoid a prolonged slump, 
Yeah. Where everything goes your like let, let's say this team finds their way to eight and four, but the difference is as opposed to starting seven and one, they start three and two. Then they win a couple games, then they lose one. They're, a little bit of bouncing back and forth, I think, would take a hell of a lot of the, you know, pull your hair out kind of anxiety of that November last year. Yeah. And I do think that uh, the advantageous part of the schedule, apart from missing the two big boys in the East, is that a lot of the home games I think are winnable, including the Wisconsin one, getting them in year one of Fickle. And then Bielema tends to do well on the road since he's been here. I mean, you can go back to the first year with the wins of Penn State and Minnesota. You can go back to last year with the close call at Michigan. I mean, when they were dead, about, they were dead in the water when that game started, and they they should have won it. I mean, and they also kept Minnesota from winning a Big Ten West championship two years ago. That's right. Remember? I mean, that team was ranked at the time. And really, that was another one of those instances. The really? Minnesota games with Bielema, it's like you should have won both of those by three touchdowns. Yeah, really good yeah. Minnesota. I, that was a really good Minnesota team, and. P.J. Fleck's been really good the last three years. He just has not been able to win that Big Ten West Championship. They're starting to get into Iowa, Kirk Ferentz. Yes. Oh, my God. Eight and four again. Seven and five again. They're getting like, tired of it. You would like to be at that. Where yes. you're like, we're in contention every year. We have a chance every year of however long the division or whatever we do next. But, um, yeah, I think that's – I think this team has the upside of winning the Big Ten West. I think this team has the upside of nine to ten wins. I will be ticking between seven and five, seven and eight. Uh, I would take the over in Vegas. I think the downside, if Altmaier struggles or gets hurt, if they have an injury on the defensive line, um, if they have an injury to one of their key offensive linemen, then maybe that's a that team could be in danger of five. But I think they got enough depth now where you don't feel like, besides maybe Newton and Randolph, that if you have an injury to one of your players that the season's derailed. Like you hope you're at that point of your program now that even if uh, one of those offensive linemen gets hurt, you have another guy that can step in and be serviceable at this point. Or if a quarterback gets hurt, the Donovan Leary or John Paddock give you a chance to win games. What are we looking forward to the next month on a line inquiry? You guys don't get, they don't yeah, open we don't, practice. We, we don't so. get the training camp. The one thing I'll miss about the Lovey Smith era is the open practice. Like mm-hmm. when he got hired, I was like, never going to have training camp open again. But because of his NFL background, I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Bioma likes to control it a little bit more, not let his opponents know anything. Uh, so it's, it's tough for us to get to know things, but we do talk to the staff a lot. He does make the staff and the players available a lot. So we glean a lot uh, from our conversations with them of, who's going to be in the mix for all these things. Um, so, yeah, we'll have coverage all the time. I got a big feature story coming out on Aaron Henry. Uh, we'll have notebooks every day of everything the players are saying. So as much as we can get out of the program, as much as we can learn from the stretching that we see, uh, we will get it to you guys. At Excellent. Well, hey, appreciate your time. And uh, it's nice to enter a season, unlike the years at 93.5, where you and Joey mentioned – the hardcore fans would always get excited. Yeah. I would always find my way to some sort of excitement, but now there's it's a different kind of buzz around town, I can tell, and you know, 10,000 new season tickets kind of... Operation Prolong Relevancy, right? And, and then finally, it seems like they're executing that. Plan. Well, and, and the other thing that stands out here, Carp, is we're not talking Illinois basketball. No. Like, this isn't just some hors d'oeuvre to Illinois basketball. I think people are, for the first time, and that's why it's important that Illinois capitalize and, and have another good year, is fans are excited. Do it again, and fans are going to continue to be excited, and they'll become more generations of Illinois football fans. You'll get more people in the stands, but um, people are actually excited to see what is going to happen on the football field this year rather than, "Eh, let's see, and then we'll we'll turn to 
basketball talk in October. It's a far cry from the last 15 years. So uh, it speaks to the health of the program. It's got to be fun to cover it. It's fun for me yeah. to just think about it and then talk about it. And uh, if, yeah, the, the good thing is that they don't need to be great. As you said, just be good. People will subscribe to that. We don't need basketball levels of expectations. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. If we're having that conversation three or four years from now and we're tired of the seven, eight wins a year, I'm, I'm a happy guy. <laughs> Jeremy Warner, Alana Inquirer. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. There he is, the one and only Jeremy Warner. Appreciate his time as always. He's a busier guy than me with, well, hey, I'm still on summer vacation, at least for one more week. And he is covering training camp along with Joey Wagner in a very in-depth way, as in-depth as you can get without being able to really see a lot of practices. I under, understand, I should say, why Brett Bielema does that. And I don't mind that. We mentioned in the interview how the football team is practicing at night for the most part this month to get ready for their 6.30 kickoffs in three of the first four games, or I should say, excuse me, three of the first five. Little details like that. And the more I talk about Brett Bielema, the more of a fan I become, and I want to try to be careful with that. I don't want to become too much like my Twitter moniker and only be a fanboy and not be able to criticize when there are reasons to do so, but... I think that until Brett Bielma gives you reasons to actually freak out or think, wait a second, he doesn't really have a handle on this thing. All he's really given us so far is indications that he knows what he's doing. And this has been a process that took a lot less time than I would have thought it would to get Illinois football back to this level of not just respectability, but overall good football. And that just makes such a difference for the what I think is the greatest season of the year anyways. I was telling Kara earlier today, we're walking the dog and I say, I love summer and I don't want to fast forward through summer, but I really love fall. And when you have a good football team to match with that, I don't think there's a better three months of the year. It's my favorite time of the year. And, and last year was so indicative of when you pair that with a winning football team, your weeks, your days are just that much brighter. It sounds cheesy, but damn it, it's true. All right, we're going to have another podcast later this week. Excited to bring back another old friend. We'll tease that on our Twitter. You can follow me at Fanboy Carper, also at the 200 level. And we have videos, at least the video of me and Jeremy talking. And going forward, we'll probably have the whole darn podcast of the intro, main segment, and outro. We'll get back to consistently doing YouTubes. You can find us on YouTube forward slash at the 200 level. Before we get out of here, got to remind you of our sponsors, DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, Order online at dpdo.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, business lunches, late-night calzones, or a celebratory calzone after Illinois starts off 2-0, beating Kansas and setting up a massive game against Penn State. I'm feeling it. I feel good about it. dpdo.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call today at 217-841-4728. For all your home HVAC needs, that's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend at 217-841-4728. And our newest sponsor, Luke Owen and the folks over at Owen Builders, Follow them on, follow them, visit them online, excuse me, at owenbuildersllc.com. Their mission is simple, honest, reliable, affordable, home additions, decks, patios, that kind of thing for residents in Champaign-Urbana and the surrounding areas. That's owenbuildersllc.com. Appreciate their sponsorship and appreciate the partnership of Champagne Showers Podcast Network. 
Appreciate you listening. As always, if you haven't already, follow us or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Leave a rating and review if you got an extra 15 seconds. That helps us get discovered by other Illini fans that are looking to add to their podcast rotation. All right. We're four weeks away, a little bit under that. Labor Day is going to get here before you know it. That's going to be a fun weekend with a big opener against Toledo, but we got plenty of coverage for the rest of the month to get ready for that. We'll do some live YouTube streams so we can hear from you and what your expectations are heading into the 2023 Alani football season. We'll be back in a few days. We won't be gone long. In the meantime, stay safe and stay healthy, and we'll see you soon. It is the 200 level.